Welcome everybody, this is SF Live, episode 19. I'm extremely excited about hosting this Fintwood panel today. This is the first time we're doing it, so I'm extremely nervous too, whether all the technology and everything that we set up is actually holding up, right? Um, I'm extremely excited to welcome Brian London, Brandon McDonald, and Willa Middlecoop, and I just realized I made a plunder there. Ah, oh, I missed an L. Jesus, that's per my perfectionism is killing me there. Oh my goodness. Okay, I do apologize, Willem. I'll get to you in a second. But uh, first of all, this is an interactive format for everybody. Please use hashtag ask us, us, ask, ask us for your questions. We're going to be talking about market impacts of COVID, obviously. We're going to talk about the gold price. And with Brandon on the board, we're also going to be talking about base metals, infrastructure spending, and how that's going to impact the overall sector. So um, make sure you follow us here on Twitter to stay, stay alert or get alerts when we go live. Follow us on YouTube and all other social media channels. So without further ado, let me switch over to my guests here. I'm extremely excited to welcome Brian London, the owner of Jefferson Financial, Willa Middlecoop, the CEO and founder of Commodity Discovery Fund, and Brandon McDonald, CEO of Fireweed. Um, just one more point before we start. Please let us know if there's any technical issues in the tweet as well. This is the first time we're doing it, so uh, please have some patience with us. Um, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you coming here. Thank yeah, you. Happy to be here. So we've prepared a couple topics, and uh, I'm really excited. We have a newsletter writer, we have a fund manager, and at the bottom we have uh, Brandon, who's a company CEO. Everybody's really active on Twitter, um, quite vocal, and I really appreciate that because it's teaching me a lot, and I'm sure a lot of followers and your followers are learning a lot about what is going on in the markets. And this panel also is sort of designed to help maybe make some more sense. Um, I'm personally more focused on the junior space, so this is primarily the focus we're going to be talking about. And um, one, one thing we've seen is a lot of spending happening or uh, government spending happening and the gold price going to 17 i think we're at 1714 today we're a little down today but i'm really interested in your views and uh about COVID and corona and the impact on the industry but first of all brian how are you doing you are in new orleans if i'm not mistaken and i hope you're doing well yes doing well staying safe doing uh pretty much what everybody else is trying to lock down as much as possible but uh yeah doing fine trying to keep ahead of these markets probably working harder from home than i ever did at work Oh, tell me about it, <laughs> um, Willem. You, you as well. You're in the you're in Amsterdam uh, or just outside of Amsterdam. I've actually been to your office, and I love the building you're in. Yep. So it's a it's an old heritage building, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, how are things in the Netherlands? How are you holding up? Um, of course, we've seen huge volatility. Um, March, uh, everything went down, just like uh, the Lehman crisis. So gold went down, gold shares went down, but then we saw an amazing comeback. And actually, um, uh, we are up 33% since April 1st, and that shows the strong recovery. But uh, the recovery is not very broad. It's uh, the senior producers, uh, the bigger names, the gold ETFs, and the juniors, they always lag. And I think uh, they will do well in the, in the next leg up. And some of the better juniors have already shown quite a bit of uh, advantages. Now, we're going to dive into that topic more in more detail in a minute here, because I'm really interested, like how this whole Corona crisis or pandemic is just affecting our sector, the junior mining sector. But uh, Brendan, how, how are you? You live tw 10 minutes away from me, but uh, and uh, we haven't seen each other in six weeks either. It's like, how are things with you? Or how are you holding up? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. You know, it's um, uh, everyone uh, loves their family. And then suddenly you spend uh, six straight weeks seeing nobody but your family <laughs> and I think my, my wife and I would love a date night at some point 
Uh, sadly, that's not on the cards for some time, but uh, you know we're coping. We, we were lucky as a company; we were already doing uh, most of our work uh, from home, um, so we haven't missed much of a beat. The big question, as we'll discuss later, is you know, come summertime, what impact that has? Exactly. Like, like, how is this all affecting our sector down to the nitty gritty details, like the drilling yeah. programs that uh, you you might be working on as well? Um, Brian, one, one interesting thing is like the gold price has finally moved. It's not where it should be still, in my opinion, and uh, given all the macroeconomic um, uncertainties and factors influencing it. And uh, one, one thing I really want to talk to you about, because your history is also in uh, in bullion trading and bullion sales. And, you know, um, I really want to talk about the disparity between the gold price and what some uh, people are paying actually for gold coins just to get them and, and hold them. Maybe we can talk about gold price and, and that disparity for a second. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of uh, <clears throat> discussion, I guess, and some arguments on Twitter and in other social media, the way we're all kind of communicating now. When all of this happened, right after the Fed announced in, uh, QE Infinity, the next QE Infinity, uh, there's tremendous surge in demand for physical metals, physical gold and silver in the U.S. and I guess all of North America. And within a few days, all of that, every bit of supply, virtually every bit of supply was uh, absorbed into the market, a tremendous rush of demand. Simultaneous to that, we had some supply disruptions or issues with the spot price in London versus Comex trading in, in New York, uh, cements and uh, refineries shutting down, et cetera. And there was uh, a lot of people, analysts, kind of conflating the two. And I looked at it as really two different events. Uh, one was a surge of fiscal demand in the US. Uh, it was not exacerbated by these supply disruptions because they were simultaneous. There was not enough time passing for the refinery shutdowns to have any impact on the supply disruptions or the, uh, the uh, demand absorbing all of the supplies in the US. So they were really two distinct things. And what people need to understand is that physical demand throughout the world is mo uh, driven by different motivations. In the U.S., it's primarily conservative slash libertarian uh, people who are oriented people uh, politically who buy metals. Um, and when Obama was president, they were buying, there was huge physical metals demand in the U.S. When Trump came into office, it scared the bejesus out of uh, people around the world but the people who buy metals in the U.S. were uh, more politically aligned with him, really weren't that afraid of him. So we saw physical demand, bullion demand in the U.S. tail off when Trump was elected. Uh, and the people who were scared about Trump in the U.S. aren't the kind of people who buy precious metals. So what's happened now is that's kind of flipped. We see the Federal Reserve come in with QE infinity and all of a sudden, uh, the more conservative libertarian type uh, people in the U.S., people who actually do buy physical metals, uh, are seeing what the potential ramifications of that is, of this huge re policy response we're seeing, uh, and they're buying metals hand over fist. Um, so that that's kind of what happened. I think that eventually, and we're going to see some of these other supply disruptions have uh, some impact on that. But we are, we're already seeing some refineries get back to work. We're seeing some mints get back to work. The U.S. Mint never really shut down. Uh, but there's been a lot of misinformation um, in that sector, a lot of misunderstanding what's going on. And in fact, in regards to spot versus COMEX, I don't know that anybody really truly understands what's going on 
except that something is, and that that whole paper gold setup is showing some fragility right now. It's really interesting because the COMEX couldn't even deliver gold for a while, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they had to uh, they had to resort to taking 400 ounce good delivery bars, and they uh, uh, they came up with a system where okay, you have 100 ounce contracts and you have 400 ounce uh, delivery bars. What you know that doesn't match up perfectly. Uh, so they came out with these ACE certificates. I think it's accelerated certificates of exchange or something. Um, but basically, it's a paper representation for bullion for those who are trying to get physical delivery. So they, they say, okay, you want physical delivery? Here's some paper showing that you got physical delivery. Um, so they, they're really shuffling things around. And I think uh, more importantly than anything, I think it points to how that whole system is a matter of fractional banking, you know, fractional reserve banking and, and, uh, and trading. Uh, and how fragile it is. And at some point, that's I think it's all going to come to a head. Not that it really matters in the long term, because I think if COMEX can't deliver physical, ever really runs up against that wall, it's just going to settle in cash. It's going to change the rules and settle in cash. But I think that will illustrate to the market how tight supplies really are. And I think it will have a uh, you know, bullish effect on, on the metals prices. Really good point. Bullish effect on metals prices. Willem, we're 1715. Let's just, for argument's sake, use that price. Um, how are you positioned right now? And like you, you mentioned, you're up 33%, but like who are the leaders in your portfolio right now? Like I have the feeling the junior mining sector, um, just looking at my watch list here, we're just barely at the level before everything crashed. Uh, um, I think we're the only fund worldwide who's really concentrating on discoveries and discoveries worldwide. We have seen a lack of discoveries. Uh, in Canada uh, with the North American listed companies. There are a few. We have ISO Energy, great uranium uh, discovery, Pan Global, new uh, copper discovery in Spain. But if you compare this to the discoveries being made uh, by uh, companies, exploration companies in Australia, Australian listed companies, the grey mining is up 500% year to date. Uh, incredible discovery. Uh, Greatland Gold up 400%. But uh, on average, um, our returns have been helped because we have 40% 4-0 in senior producers and ETFs, gold okay. ETFs, silver ETFs. And normally we don't have an exposure like that to the seniors, but we, we changed our portfolio quite a bit. We started in Q4 last year. Um, we, um, um, we, we took quite a bit of cash. Normally we, we don't have any cash, uh, but we were uh, on a cash of 10% uh, late uh, February this year and then we put the cash at work uh, during the crash and that has helped our uh, our uh, returns but um, I think most interesting um, maybe to note is that we see huge inflow um, we've had some 5 million euros of inflow mm. um, uh, since since the middle of March and that's quite a bit quite a bit of money and and it's a new kind of uh, investors knocking on our door, literally knocking on our door. And it's more the family office, it's more the guys who made money in real estate, who made money in private equity. And they really want to have an exposure to gold now. And since they can't buy any physical, uh, they're looking for proxies. And they see us like a proxy and we help them to find other proxies for, for physical. So that, that's a big change in the market. 
Interesting. And we're going to come to that in a minute. It's like, I'm really interested in generalist interest in general. Um, but, but Brendan, before I, I want to get you involved here as well, because you're a bit yeah. of the outlier. You're the base metals yeah, guy yeah. here with all these. Uh, it's uh, Brian. I think you're, you call yourself a gold bug and Willem, obviously you're all more uh, precious metals focused in general. I think your portfolio, how, how many percent is in precious metals? Uh, it's uh, 70, 75% and 10% okay. yeah. uranium. Okay. No, and uh, so Brendan, um, to, to get you involved, like the the whole crash and the Corona pandemic, like I think in the U.S., President Trump, I'm not sure if it's gone through or it, it suggested or wants to do a, a two trillion dollar infrastructure spending package. Mm -hmm. So, and um, I really want to see like what what's the impact on the base metal plays, and and you have a further advanced uh, sync play in the Yukon. What, what's going to yeah. be the whole impact on on com companies and projects like yours? Yeah, I, I guess um, you know when you announce a a trillion or two trillion in infrastructure investment, and I suspect the total global amount's going to be around ten trillion. Uh, not necessarily all infrastructure, but in but in direct stimulus. Um, when does that you know start to get deployed? Uh, does the uh, metals prices lead the deployment of that capital and the actual demand for metals, or 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 does it lag it a bit? Um, so the question for juniors like us are you know is uh, that that clearly, uh, I think, is bullish for base metals. I think the impact of that um, uh, infrastructure investment will eclipse the demand attrition that we've seen from Corona. At least the the long term demand attrition. Uh, the short term demand attrition obviously is massive because so so much has been stopped. Um, but um, you know, you know, for us, it's it's great to be positioned for that. But you you need to have some momentum coming into it. Um, so do the generalists come into the mining space when they see, oh, look, you know, base metals, you know, there's just not enough out there to meet the demand of, of what these governments want to do. And do the dollars come in? Um, it, nothing surprises me anymore. Um, I, I suspect that we're, we're going to lead the spending of that, that money a bit. I think base metals make a rebound, not a sharp one, but, but probably late this year, early next year, despite the fact that I doubt we see any real infrastructure spending from that sort of stimulus until maybe late next year, probably 2022. Okay. And, and Willem, actually, you posted that on Twitter today that uh, copper reserves or copper um, inventories are depleting in China rapidly right now. Um, maybe yeah. we could comment on that uh, d dynamic a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, we even took part in another round of financing for Fireweed Zinc. So we still put money at, we still put money at work in base metals. It's still 15% of our portfolio. Um, and we concentrate on the best discoveries. And Fireweed Zinc is one of them. Soul Gold um, is one of them in Ecuador. Um, it's a huge copper gold uh, discovery. But I, I watched some charts closely, and that's BHP, that's tech. And if you look at uh, the chart of BHP, you know, these are the miners who, who make their living out of uh, uh, producing and selling base metals. And I think they, they already turned the corner. Um, uh, they, they dropped till $30 uh, mid-March. Uh, they're around $40 now. So it shows, I think we've seen the worst. Um, and, and, and never forget, you know, the, the, the amount of money printing and the debasement of currencies uh, just kicked into a higher gear, and people understand this, and so they, they will they will flee to all government can't print. And we even saw a, a new report by the Bank of America 
uh, upping, upping their target for gold from 2,000 to 3,000 for an ounce. And they even uh, used this uh, title, you know, the, the Fed can't print gold. I, I couldn't believe it that this was coming from a Wall Street uh, uh, bank. They've always been quite aggressive on their gold prices, though. But uh, yes, three thousand is quite aggressive, and putting that in the title—that's that's uh, a that's a, a wake-up call, I'd say, because Bank of America is not a small bank either that uh, nobody follows, right? Um, and Brian, like in, in terms of generalist interest, you 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 write a couple newsletters as well, and you run an alert service. What I'm really interested in is like, do you see an uptick in subscriber count? Like, how is the interaction going? Do you even get calls, maybe from pension funds or so? just in general to, to reach out and see what the situation is there. And not so much calls from pension funds and the like, but yeah, we have seen a tremendous uh, renewal of interest in, in subscribing to Gold Newsletter uh, and subscribing to our free prospect letter, uh, Golden Opportunity. So we have gotten a lot more interest um, and, uh, you know, and, and we do have a significant prospect list that's, that's basically filled from everything from New Orleans conference attendees and go newsletter subscribers to people that just click to, to watch a free video, you know, all along the spectrum. Um, and when we market or expose that list to uh, subscription offers to gold newsletter and our prospect list, you know, a couple of years ago, we, we would get very little response. Uh, and now it, it's it's worth doing because we get a big response. And these are people who are already interested. Um, I do think that the generalists are, are coming in. I, I will be coming in. But right now what we're seeing is this kind of circular firing squad, as it were, where every, the market's being lifted. Yes, and you're seeing it. it it's almost a tide lifting all boats. But a large degree of it, a good percentage of it, if not a vast majority of it, is all of us you know, buying each other's deals, kind of seeing what's going on and getting back in the market. Um, and we still have to get that money coming in from the outside. Initially, it's going to come in as Willem is, is seen in the majors, but it will filter on down the food chain into the juniors. I think it's going to be a process that's months uh, in action, but uh, but it will happen. Um, and, and there's going to be all the offshoots of it too, into the base metals, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you have to have that gold bull market first before you start getting, at least in the junior equities, a lot of interest in the base metals and some of the associated minerals. Yeah, let, let's drill down more on the junior market itself. Like at the Vancouver show in, in January, I think I spoke to like four or five new com companies that were planning to RTO or IPO uh, in the first half of 2020. I think one has made it so far. Okay, so looking also at the Ornig Index, Ornig is a sister company of Sword Financial here. Um, we, we track the financings and so far it's been pretty dead. We've seen a lot of outliers. We've seen um, Silvercrest raising $101 million. We've seen Bluestone raise $80 million, I think it was yesterday or this week. Mm -hmm. right? So those are singular outliers, but in general, there's not a lot of financing interest. And um, now I'm curious, like financing interest at the $1,700 gold price is not is not there. No new deals are there. So so where am I going with this? Like the point is the activity is lacking in the junior mining sector. And Brandon, maybe you can help me answer that one or help answer that one. But like, A, what needs to happen to come back? Like, is it just a time factor? Uh, yeah, certainly. I looked at, you know, I don't know if time heals all wounds, but um, we, we do need a bit more time here. You, you look at our recent financing uh, was by design for existing shareholders but it was filled 98% by existing shareholders, right? 
I think if we had tried to do a much larger financing and, and been trying to solicit funds from new investors, it would have been extremely difficult. Um, you know, th th this was very much a uh, business continuity financing. And I think that uh, people going out to, to, you know, knock on some new doors and, and get some new investors are going to struggle hugely, you know, unless you have the, you know, the intersection of the perfect play for this, a, a near term or perhaps uh, producing, you know, precious metals play. Um, you know, basically the, uh, you know, the blue stones of the world, right? Um, um, and even they had massive backing from their existing shareholders for that. So um, I think it's tough. You know, it's funny in December, I was saying that the mood was, was uh, cautious to nihilistic. In January at VREC, I was saying that it was um, surprisingly positive. And then our feet were just kicked up <laughs> us with this COVID and and market crash right and it, it's it's a it's been a wild ride um and i think that that volatility is probably going to keep people spooked for a little bit until we get some you know put together a quarter of somewhat normalcy um and and then i think we get some new blood in Good, good, good point. New blood, I think. Um, I've been saying in presentations before that we need a big scare in the main markets like the S&P and the Dow Jones. And they have dropped now their 20, 25% at most, most of them, actually. And uh, the, the bigger stocks have dropped as well. Unfortunately, the ones like, like Netflix or Amazon, the ones that are benefiting right now from this whole pandemic because everybody's sitting at home and ordering are still pr generating returns for investors. But we need a scare in the general markets to attract more risk capital because we are in a risk industry. And, and Will, I'm quite interested is like, what are catalysts or what are you looking for? I mentioned uh, new financings or new deals where management teams from existing companies start a new project or a new company. Are you interested in those? Like, how are you allocating your funds when you're allocating your cash? Well, you know, I, I'm not that worried because this reminds me a lot um, um, 12 years ago. Um, we were around in 2008, 2009. We started a fund in the summer of 2008, four months before Lehman crashed. Then we went down 40% during the Lehman crash. And then we went up 400% in the two and a half years leading to the top in 2011. And I see exact the same mechanisms in the market now. First, we went down 40%. March 18, we were down year to date 40%. We're zero now year to date. The, the recovery has started and it always starts with physical gold. Then the senior producers start to recover. Silver will lack the recovery of gold, but will eventually take over. And then the juniors will start to rise. We've seen that last week. Today, the, the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Index is up while gold is down. So there's a huge breakout on TSXV um, compared to the um, commodity index ratio. We've seen a breakout. Um, and um, as Brendan said, we'll see huge stimulus coming and there will be huge investments uh, done worldwide on infrastructure. And so the base metals will also recover and they're already starting to recover. Look at copper, uh, look at um, BHP and the majors. So I, I'm, I'm not pessimistic. I'm not so negative. 
No, that's very good to hear. And I, and as you said, I've actually fully agree. And looking at my watch list, like I'm pretty much flat year to date as well with my personal portfolio here. So and some of the stocks are actually rallying nicely. I wish I had more would have had more cash mid March. Um, Brian, you're also sending out alerts to your subscribers. Like, what are you alerting your subscribers to right now? What to look out for right now? Uh, new opportunities. Um, you know, we were buying in March. Um, a bit before some of my compatriots in the industry, uh, because, you know, I looked at what Willem has said. Uh, he's exactly right. It, this is uh, a virtual replay. You know, history rhymes and there are differences, et cetera. The big difference, of course, now between 2008 is the rapidity of the policy response has just been blindingly fast, um, not only the degree, but the the, the speed of it all. And um so it, it's a real analog to 2008, where uh, in my presentations, I've been showing the chart of gold in the weeks and months uh, during and after, immediately after the 2008 uh, great financial crisis. And it's just a, you know, a jagged uh, EKG line, tremendous volatility, huge sell-offs, tremendous recoveries. And then you look longer term over the following uh, uh three years and you see that from the lows the gold price tripled from the lows to the highs uh, it steadied and people looked at their policy responses uh so yeah it's uh i i'm i was heartened by that in the big sell-off and and we started buying some of these the companies we were already following and now we're looking for other new deals we're starting to see some come out and we're alerting our readers to some of them but some of the stocks we've been buying we're buying a few weeks ago you know have doubled since then and uh and what i've been advising is not exactly what i've been doing either uh, I'm, uh that sounds worse than it is but i've been advising people to get into in the junior space at least uh the, the ones of large resources optionality plays the companies that have proven resources probably of economics like the bluestones etc because those are going to move more quickly and initially um but I've been looking at some of these expiration plays and, and telling my readers about it and what I've liked about them. But some of these expiration plays that are funded for drill programs um, that I think if you if you have the assumption that there's going to be some degree of normalcy returning to the expiration market by late summer, mid to late summer, uh, then these plays are going to benefit not only from the typical wintertime lows when they're kind of forgotten, but also COVID on top of that. Uh, and they're going to be trading for two to three times their levels by the time people start get excited about drilling starting. Uh, and then if you have success in the drilling, well, you're riding for free anyway. So um, so I like some of those and have been investing in some of those. Um, and I know, don't know if we're supposed to mention any names or anything, but we're an open forum. Uh, like there, you know, there's no sponsors or anybody that's prohibiting us from saying anything we want. So. Okay. Well, I, I've been buying Millrock, um, and you know, I'm, obviously, I'm long that one, so I'm talking my book there. Uh, that's one I've liked. I've liked Libero, Copper and Gold. They're not funded for the next expiration program, but I think they won't have a problem by the summer. I like their expiration projects, um, and um, you know, and a few others here that here and there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's an extraordinary opportunity. And, uh, you know, this sector is going to be lifted, rising tide. All the boats are going to be lifted. But I think there are some faster horses out there, potentially faster horses. No, those are ex excellent points. And I want to circle back just, just to one thing, like the impact of COVID-19. Like, I'm not convinced that we've seen the last of it. 
also in terms of market response, um, I think the U.S. so far, which is obviously the leading market in the world, has been uh, has gotten off lightly. Um, I don't think it's been contained in any f shape or form. And uh, the U.S. is a service economy, and so far the service industry is pretty much at a standstill. So Q2 numbers, I'm not sure if they're baked in yet, but I'm expecting more of a another correction maybe coming up. Okay, I'm not a macroeconomist; it's just more what I, what I've been reading, what my gut is telling me. Um, are we going to see another liquidity or a run for the door, another liquidity crunch? And Willem, I might want to address that one to you. Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, many people are surprised that stocks are running uh, this fast. Uh, but I think uh, the smart money understands the only thing uh, authorities and central banks can do now is print more money uh, in extremis. It's, it's um, the stimulus we see now is times five or 10 compared to 2008 and 2009. And we all know, um, so the smart money, they all know what will happen next. And that's huge debasement of, of currency. And um, there's a real risk now for the very first time that we could end in some serious inflation or even hyperinflation. We've seen the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve uh, rise by 50% in a few weeks. You know, this is straight up. <laughs> show, show me uh, one case in history where this kind, this amount of money printing, printing hasn't, um, well, uh, led to hyperinflation or, or some other uh, very unfortunate events. So there's so much money out there looking for returns. Uh, the bond market is, is you, want to, you want to put your money in a bond market now, just for insurance you put your money in the bond market because it's, it's safer than cash, but you don't go there to get returns. <laughs> so if you want to have returns, you can go to real estate, but real estate is very highly valued and the real estate market is a credit market because there's always credit involved so people can only go to the stock market and don't forget if you get some serious inflation and if this would lead to hyperinflation in five or ten years time you know the best market returns you see in markets where you see hyperinflation uh, that stock exchange in venezuela and zimbabwe went up 20, 30,000%. And I think what we see now on the broader markets on Wall Street might be the first phase of a trend leading towards uh, those kind of risks. Okay. No, that's, that, I think those are good points. And I'm still, I'm still slightly worried. You haven't taken all my, 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 uh, my anxiety away there. And uh, Brendan, you, you mentioned something earlier, like pretty much at the intro. And uh, I want to come back to the COVID topic because it's just so timely and we can't get away from it. And it's impacting everything we're yeah. doing right now. Um, since we are a junior, a junior exploration company, the impact of COVID, like exploration programs is like, we're at the cusp of something massive, losing a full year of exploration uh, for a lot of companies. Like, what needs to happen? Or like, how realistic is that? Do you, do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, look, so, so there's several there, there's several things that need to happen in order to, to have a drill program. First, you need to have the capital for a drill program, which might be a tall order in these markets, depending on uh, what, what metal you're searching for, et cetera. 
And then second, you actually need to be able to execute the drill program. Um, this is a challenge, you know, never mind crossing international borders, even within Canada, in many of the provinces, going from one province to another, you are now facing a 14-day quarantine upon arriving in a new province. Um, so if you've got your head office in Vancouver or Toronto, and your project isn't in British Columbia or Ontario, um, or all your workers aren't already in the, the province where your project is, uh, you suddenly are going to have a real hard time executing a drill program. You know, a traditional program might be on a, say, four-week rotation of, of you know, people. Um, so what, they're going to arrive two weeks early for their four-week rotation, stay in a hotel for two weeks to quarantine, and then go to camp, uh, and then come out, go back home, come back two weeks early to repeat? Um, so, and are you paying them when they're off rotation in quarantine, <laughs> right? Like, because no, nobody wants to sit in a hotel in Whitehorse or, you know, uh, whatever for, for two weeks doing nothing without getting paid. Um, so this is part of the reason we didn't raise capital for, uh, a drill program this year was because we weren't convinced we could do it. Right. I mean, it, it's possible before, uh, you know, we lose our summer that, that restrictions are lifted and we can execute a program. But financing for a drill program at the bottom when you don't know you can't do it um, seems like an extremely unwise thing to do. So, you know, per Brian's point of, you know, liking companies that are cashed up, it's always great to be cashed up. And that's always a good thing to look for in a company. But I'm not sure all the ones who are thinking they're going to have drill programs are going to have drill programs. That, that's a very good point because there's only very few jurisdictions where you can actually drill or you have not been interrupted so far. And I think Nevada, Idaho are a couple of those. Um, Quebec, I think, is slowly coming back, at least the mining operations. Um, is, is it fair to say general statement, just play the developers, don't touch the explorers this year? Brian, maybe you can jump in on that one. Oh, we lost you, Brian. You're, you're, Brian, muted. you're muted yourself somehow. I am unmuted. Sorry, I was uh, polite in, in muting myself. Uh, no, I, I can't. I can't uh, say that because I'm not doing that. I, I'm looking at it case by case, um, and we do cover a lot of companies. Frankly, probably uh, too many, but uh, I, I am looking at it as a case by case basis. And I don't think you can apply that generalization. But I think there's certain there is logic to that. Um, and, uh, and and there are other things to, to look at, too. It depends on whether you're a trader or an investor. And, and I think that's what it comes down to. If you're buying, if you're looking at the cycles in these markets, if you're truly speculating, there are some drill hole plays out there that will be drilling uh, at some point or actually have core that was, you know, drilling programs that were cut off by COVID and have drill core in the uh, the lab, some drill core at least, like, like Millrock, which I just mentioned. Um, so it is a case by case basis. Now, if you're looking at playing these cycles and looking at the longer term, there are opportunities now that if you look a year down the road and you hope that there's some economic recovery and you see that some of these supply disruptions we're watching right now are going to hit the markets, uh, then you want to look at the base metals because they're going to follow gold. Uh, and and I think I do think that gold is a gold bull market is a prerequisite, but I do know that you know you don't have a zinc bull market you don't have a copper bull market unless in the juniors unless there's an underlying gold bull market and we have that uh that in place now 
uh, we are going to have some kind of an economic recovery that's going to run uh, head on into some supply disruptions. So I think zinc and copper are great things to look at now if you have a time frame of a year down the road or thereabouts or a little bit further. And I think uh, uranium as well is, is perking up right now. So we're about to start getting back into that area in, uh, in gold newsletter. Uh, and there are obviously some events going on there and the mark, the price is perking up. Um, so I think we're still early there as well. Okay. Let, let's switch over to Twitter and Brent and stop liking my, the, the tweets while we're chatting here. So, um, uh, we, we got a few <laughs> questions in and people can see questions here on the screen as well. And, uh, everybody knows Cooper Quinn probably, and he's very active on Twitter as well. We probably should have him on the show at one point or another as well. Um, couple questions that came in we're just going to go through a few because we're running already a bit long uh we're at 36 minutes right now which is great so we got probably five to ten minutes answering some questions um first question is addressed to you brennan actually and uh we know your feelings on pants if we all follow you on twitter uh but it looks like you're not wearing a shirt <laughs> um also coming to the base metals how how long do you think zinc and uh, and lead producers currently underwater will be able to stay in production what are the implement implications for development stories yeah, I, I guess, you know, I had been posting on Twitter about this recently that I figured uh, on a cash basis, 30% of the zinc producers are underwater right now, or zinc mines. Um, on a Once you add sustaining capital, probably closer to 50%. Um, now, you can put, put off your sustaining capital for a bit, but that tends to come around and bite you in the ass if you put it off too long. Uh, I don't know how long. You've already seen uh, some closures. Uh, some related to COVID, some just purely financial closures. Um, so I, you know, another six months of this before there's massive supply destruction, I, I think is is you know, you know who knows. It seems like the longest it can go. Um, but um, you know, the question for for development stories is okay. Does this does this shake out the weakest of the producers? And leave a, uh, a gap or a space for a better developer to, to take their place, right? Um, you know, a lot of these restarts were um, questionable in terms. You know, they, they were they were restarting into what was a zinc bull market. You know, hoping for prices in the, in a sort of one twenty per pound plus. Um, you know, are they going to restart again the instant it gets to one twenty, or are people going to look at development stories that have, you know, cash costs in the, uh, you know, 70s and 80s. Um, I think, it, you know, assuming this is a big assumption, I can get the capital to to get my project permitted and um, uh, engineered. I think this is good for us. I think this shakes out some competition and creates more tightness in the market. Um, but that's a big question mark, whether, you know, during a period of a low commodity price, whether anyone will fund you to develop your project. Yeah, no, it's a wait and see kind of approach, unfortunately, I guess, right? Um, Willem, I think the next one is a good question for you. It's from Bernie Kraft. And uh, the question is like, because you're a discovery investor, like you, you like chasing discoveries, so that question is perfect for you. What is the short to medium term future for early stage grassroots exploration? And then uh, maybe a little more technical, what kind of deposit types would be of interest? Um. <clears throat> It's very hard to give a general answer, you know. Uh, I've been a discovery investor for almost 20 years now. Uh, first as a private investor, then as a fund manager. 
And, and the longer I'm in this business, the more I am convinced that I should focus on only one thing, and that's the truth machine. That's the discovery hole. That's the confirmation of the discovery hole. And we, we started to disinvest in Q3 last year the tier two discoveries, the tier three discoveries. We only focus on the most promising ones. And I don't mind if it's gold or copper or uranium. I don't mind if it's a CDEX or I, I'm not even a geologist, you know, I don't even understand it. And if, if you really stick to next gen for uranium, to soul gold for copper, uh, to the grey mining for, for gold and grey bare resources, you will do well. And, and even in, in, in times like this, and I remember this from 2008, 2009 as well, uh, the best uh, exploration place, the best discovery place, I should say, they, they run like hell after a crash. I love crashes because you're done. You know, and nobody is leaving. We don't have redemptions because why would you leave at such a low level? So the only way is up. And we have our best month ever now, 33% up. But during the recovery in 2009, we had six out of 12 months with double digit monthly returns. Same in 2016, the recovery. We had two, two months of over 20% returns. So if you stick to the best, and, and I'm sorry, you know, for all the juniors out there who aren't so lucky that they have the world-class discovery. But, you know, I can be opportunistic uh, asshole <laughs> and choose, 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 the, choose the prettiest girls out there. Well, that's the luxury of being on the buy side, right? That's, uh, that's the opportunity. Yeah. And you, you dictate the market, right? Yeah. Um, one, one point, actually, like deposit types, you, you mentioned you're not just looking at gold and silver. What, what other... Um, opportunities are you looking at? And there's a question from Sean Broderick. Uh, like, what's an economic yeah. opportunity besides precious metals that most people are overlooking right now? Um, uh, I think that's a question for the for, for, for everybody here. Yeah. So maybe, Brian, is there something else you're looking at besides gold and silver right now? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of answered that uh, before, and, and Brandon can pay me for this later, but, uh, you know, zinc is uh, is a great play right now um, copper is for if you have a longer uh, time horizon you know and, and I and we've been recommending fireweed uh, from the jump because it's it I think it's one of the best probably the best exploration development play out there um, in that area and at these levels you know it's if you buy these companies some of these better base metal companies at current prices and you're willing to hold them for a year 18 months I think you're going to be greatly rewarded. But again, you, the prerequisite to all of this is having a, an, a, buoyant, a buoyant gold market, a, a bull market in gold and then in silver, because that brings the speculative investors into the, the, the junior equities. Um, and when you have that kind of a run, like we had in the early 2000s, you had a great run in gold and silver. Then we had rare earths. And we had uranium mania. We had all these offshoot markets and people were looking at copper plays, zinc plays and the like. Um, and I think that's what we're getting into. You know, we're getting into that kind of a market atmosphere over the next five years, I believe. Uh, and we expected a lot of things to happen over the next five years that surprisingly happened over the course of about five days. Uh, so everything's been compressed. It's been brought forward. Um, 
I, you know, getting back to your other question, I think we're, we're it's very likely we're going to have another downturn, another dip. Um, but I think uh, if you're looking at playing the cycle, you get positioned in the better place um, and peck away at them right now. Uh, and if they and keep some keep some ammunition on the side, so if you do get that kind of further downdraft, you can get back in again. Brendan, you're also in Vancouver. Unfortunately, we can't walk the streets. But what do you hear uh, mm. on the streets besides copper, uh, like gold, silver right now? Is there anything else you're picking up? Uh, are you hearing about any new plays or uh, companies popping up or even new metals that are being becoming hotter right now? Yeah, I mean, look, there, there's um, the uranium bulls are finally getting their, um, <laughs> their moment in the sun. I'm, you know, you guys could perhaps speak uh, more to this than me. It strikes me that this is a short-term structural issue in uranium. I'm not, I'm not sold that it's it's a long-term thing yet. Uh, not that I'm I'm bearish uranium, um, but it's certainly you know uh, a good play right now. Um, but um, yeah, look, everyone's really very focused on on the precious metals, particularly gold. And I was saying at PDAC that that. Um, I had a few people tell me like, oh, you know, I, contrarian investor, I've been in gold, and I'm like, well, come on, like gold 1700, and you're calling yourself a contrarian investor, right? <laughs> like that's not, right, that's not, yeah, not exactly, I think, and I mean, yeah, um, so that's you know, that's, but I don't think that's necessarily the wrong thing to do because the the juniors are not valued like gold is 1700, right? Um, so whereas you could say the the zinc juniors are more beat up. Um, and we'll probably have a bigger bounce. Um, there's a question of uh, who moves farthest and who moves first. Both are important. Um, you know, you could argue that the zinc juniors might move farther, but the gold juniors are going to move first. And if you're a good trader, uh, maybe that's where you should be. That, that's a very good point. And I think it's it's time to wrap this up here. And I want to give everybody th like 30 seconds sort of for like an outlook. Like what are you doing or what do you suggest to do giving everything that's happening right now in the net to do in, for investors in the next three months, just so we put a bow around what we've been discussing. Uh, Brian, since you're at, at the, well, here on the screen, you're on my right, but you're on my left, I don't know. So why, why don't we start with you? Well, I, I think I, I've kind of covered that. Just to re reiterate it, though, we're in uh, an extraordinary environment here. It's it's unprecedented yet again. Now, one, one concern I have is that in 2008, we had a... Um, we had this tremendous liquidity injection, and we did not see resulting economic repercussions. We didn't see retail price inflation. It was all kind of captured in the financial markets. I think we'll need to see that this time for gold to maintain its bull market. Uh, but the good news is I think we will. I think that will happen. And even if it doesn't happen, we're going to have a couple of years of a rising gold price. I think the record, the nominal record of 1920 or thereabouts is going to get broken over the next uh, uh, six months, probably. Uh, probably gonna, good chance it'll be sooner than that. I think we're gonna get well into, into the 2000s on the gold price. In that kind of environment, you wanna be positioned in the better juniors. And some of them have had runs, uh, but they're still small fractions uh, related to where I think they're going to end up. So I think, you know, be careful, be prudent, but, but uh, but buy these things, buy buy the, the bargains that are still out there, the, the companies that have um, that are fairly well cashed up and are going to be advancing in this environment. Fantastic. Willem, what do you got for us? 
Um, well, I, as you know, I'm also an author of, of books. And um, in 2014, I wrote a big reset. And uh, on the back cover, I mentioned that around 2020, we'll need a monetary reset. We need to find a new anchor for all's monetary system. Um, we need to find, uh, we need to get um, debt restructurings worldwide, and we need a gold revaluation. Well, uh, the governor of the Bank of England uh, recently said we need to build a new monetary system um, because the dollar is in its uh, end game. Uh, the United Nations this week said we need a, a new world body uh, looking after debt restructurings. And I think we could have a revaluation of gold to help the central bank balance sheets. Italy has a huge gold uh, reserves. If you revalue gold to a much higher level, not only Italy will be helped, but it will also help the Federal Reserve. And what happens now on the COMEX markets could lead to a, uh, a reset of, of, of the gold trading system and could lead to a gold revaluation. So I think investors will be pleasantly surprised what will happen with gold and silver related investments. You made a couple of really good points that I could go hours and hours on, like revaluation of gold to clear balance sheets is a fantastic topic we could speak on for hours. But uh, we don't have the time. We're running out. And, Next uh, time. Uh, Brandon, Next like time. from the junior mining aspect, what, what you got for us there? Like what should investors look for? Um, how, how should we play this? Uh, you know, I'd as an investor, I'm paying attention to management teams because, uh, you know, I also invest in this space uh, that are keeping it simple. You know, this is not a time uh, to get too fancy with your strategy um, because there's too much strategic volatility, not just market volatility, but strategic volatility in terms of how fast the situation is changing. Um, what was very clever yesterday becomes very stupid tomorrow. Um, so, you know, you know, be aware of who's promising to execute something that they might not be able to execute, even though it might seem fair now. Um, but, you know, keep an eye out for the, I mean, you barely need to keep an eye out for the bargains. They're everywhere. But, you know, the, the most, per Willem's point, the, the highest quality plays will move first and move farthest. Um, you may consider there's more torque in the marginal assets, but that's really a, a you know, fool's game, right? So, you know, look for the high quality plays uh, where the management has a steady hand. Fantastic. This, I think that was a great, great wrap up and uh, to, to our discussion here. I really appreciate everybody's time coming on here. Willem, it's eight o'clock for you almost in, in Amsterdam and uh, Brian and Brandon also yeah. as well. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure to subscribe to our Twitter channel. We'll be uploading this video also to YouTube later on, and you'll be able to download this as a podcast on Spotify uh, in, the, in the coming hours. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, everybody have a good weekend and stay safe, please. Okay. Bye there. Thank you. Thank you.